Welcome to SEN Fridays in the Top End, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. A very different show this morning. Normally we have Robbie Hale and Raf Clark alongside us in the studio, but we have a new person, new for our listeners, our loyal listeners, but not new for myself. It is a very accomplished man in the fitness industry, Jacob Andre. Jacob, we've teamed up before on radio previously, but what's keeping you busy these days? Yeah, Jackson, thank you for having me again. Good morning. We were back on Balls and Oils. It feels like we've resurrected it a little bit this morning. <laughs> so it's good to be here on Fridays in the Top End. It is, mate. So, obviously, a school teacher by trade. Tell us about what grade you're teaching, what school you're at, and what, what you're doing currently in the fitness industry. Yeah, school teacher by trade, teaching at Darwin High School, high school grade 10, 11, 12. What am I doing in the fitness industry? Far out. I've done heaps of stuff. Everything. Yeah, well, I've worked with the Crows women for the last three seasons, the Darwin Base Girls, Danielle Ponter and Jasmine Hewitt, Steve Lee Thompson when she's in town. I uh, worked with, I'm um, working with a few athletes, um, sprinters, Jess Paris, Robin Wadham, some long distance runners, local football clubs, Wanderers and Palmerston, yeah, heaps. And uh, of course, I've taught you back in the day, back in middle school. Oh, mate, there's a few stories about that. We might even get into a few of them later. I tell you, the biggest spray I've ever caught from anyone, a, a coach or, or anyone like that, was from you when I was in line. And the, the awkward thing about that was, I think it was a it was a case of mistaken identity, and you sprayed me one time, and I got sent to the reflection room, which is where all the naughty kids go, and and I'm sure they've heard this plenty of time, but they said, oh, what did you do wrong? And I said, like nothing, like genuinely nothing. I think there was mistaken identity, so I wasted an hour of my favourite lesson of the week PE, <laughs> and had to come back, and it was it was awkward for all of us, Jacob, but we did get through that. We come out the other side. You what are happened? The go- what happened? Do you remember what happened? Yeah, no. Well, I was literally just in line. I think the people behind me were mucking around and pushing and shoving and all that sort of stuff and um, I got caught in the crossfire. It's, I'm always innocent, Jacob, you know that. But you are the go-to man for uh, advice around health, fitness, diet, training programs. You mentioned your list of athletes before. If you could sort of pinpoint a couple who you have most excited to work with over the last couple of years, um, I suppose Jasmine Hewitt is topical, given that she's fresh off a Williams medal for best on ground again. Uh, who, who would you earmark as, as some of the better athletes that you've worked with? Oh, man, that's like asking who's your favourite kid. kid. Um, Well, of course, it's pretty exciting to have worked with the Crows. You know, they've won three premierships out of the last seven Mm. seasons. Uh, And so Danielle Ponter and Jazz Hewitt are amazing athletes. Um, I'm really excited about working with some up-and-coming footy players who are looking to get drafted into the AFLW. Kira Lee Parnell, Mm -hmm. Kira Zarafa, who played in the uh, grand final for Waratahs on the weekend. yeah, those two are two that come to mind without trying to sound like I'm picking a favourite child. Um, <laughs> the, the two that I mentioned, the, the two sprinters, Jess Paris and Robin Wadham, I'm really excited about. Uh, Robin's a 400-metre runner and Jess is 200. Uh, and then a whole bunch of long-distance runners. I, I won't go through everyone, but um, El Shembri is one who's running the West Max Monster, the 25 kilometres in Central wow. Australia. Um, that's... So imagine doing more 25 than... 25 kilometres. 25 kilometres. So a half marathon is 21, and she's going to do more than that and go up hills and across, you know, rocks and in river riverbeds like the Todd River through sand. I'm presuming, I'm not sure, but it's like crazy. Happy birthday, too, for the other day, the big 40. Does life feel any different as a 40-year-old? Uh, actually, feels better. Ooh. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I feel promising. happier, healthier, fitter, and stronger than I've ever been. And yeah, turning forty on Monday 
and had a pretty big weekend um, on the weekend and woke up, you know, not feeling too bad. So, yeah, still able to sort of run around like I'm 30. You also have a successful podcast, uh, 50 plus episodes in, if I'm not mistaken. You recently spoke to Mitch Greaves, did I get his name right? Yeah. Uh, The head of strength and conditioning at the Hawthorne Football Club. What insights did you get from him? Oh, Mitch is amazing. So he actually is a strength and conditioning coach, or he refers to himself as athletic performance coach, which I do prefer that title myself better. Mm. And he, he's the athletic performance coach for Taylor Harris. And oh, so yeah. obviously um, very well-known AFLW player. He used to work at Carlton uh, with the AFLW side. He's now at Hawthorne because of the connections that you make. And uh, so they sort of dragged him across, poached him, and He's working with a whole bunch of those those athletes. So he was, of course, with Dominic Carbone, who was at Buffalo, he's playing with Hawthorne, and Eliza Shannon, who was at St. Mary's, and both have now left the club. Uh, but, yeah, he the biggest insights I got from him were just in terms of working with female athletes and changing things. So I really liked his traffic light system of you know green, yellow, red in terms of in a with women and menstrual cycles and I talked about uh, menstrual cycles and performance with Kurt Vogel on the podcast and Kurt Vogel is in Queensland and he the thing that Mitch was saying was that he will do a green light week where it's we go hard Mm -hmm. and then two yellow light weeks typically doesn't always happen like that where you sort of sort of average out a little bit more until medium weeks and then a red light week where you need to drop it back and that's the same as periodization with men, but you just need to be a little bit more considerate of it with women and menstrual cycles and using mm-hmm. RPE based, which is rate of perceived exertion, as opposed to percentage based and that sort of uh, intensity training. That is very scientific, Jacob. I do like that because that was my next question. How do you compare working with female athletes compared to the males? I suppose you've you've spoken more from a physiological side of things. What about uh, the motivation side? We had Rick Nolan on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm hoping to get him back again tonight, today, this morning. But he uh, said basically that, you know... There might not be as much room as, as that big spray as there once was when he was coaching younger males and stuff like that. Um, and, and he just has to handle things a little bit differently, obviously. Um, yeah, I will, you could listen to Rick's interview a couple of weeks ago if you want to know all of his insights. But I'm wondering now for yourself, Jacob, how does it compare working with female athletes compared to males? Yeah, well, I actually really love it. I, I And I really love Rick Nolan. He's an amazing mm. coach for, of men and women. And I think he's... Some men, I think, struggle with the transition from uh, male coaches, that is, from men's into women's. And mm. Rick is someone who's done it phenomenally well. Obviously, he's just won a yeah, the premiership. Yeah, results speak for themselves. But uh, in terms of working with women, yeah, you do probably need to be a little bit more relational. And yeah. you need to be, uh, you know, you say there's not as much place for a spray as what there once was. and. I don't even know if that's there's probably, much... That's probably females and males yeah. at this stage. It's probably just a changing generation. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think it's a lot more... And you see that right from the AFL down mm. through to local leagues. And I just think you have to be much more... Even in teaching, to, you know, to personalise it a little bit. Yeah, like it's yeah. less of that hard teacher, bloody crack the whip type <laughs> situation. Certainly. 
But, hey, what are the biggest fitness components uh, that local footballers or footballers in general tend to neglect? Is it weight training, speed work, recovery? Is there anything that you've noticed in particular? Running technique, man. Running technique. Easy. What's the number one thing you do in a game of footy? It's got to be running. Running. At basketball, netball, all of it. And so I think not enough people do enough work on their actual running technique. So if you look at strength and conditioning, which come first, the chicken or the egg? Mm. You could argue till you're black and blue in the face. The chicken or the egg came first. But when it comes to strength and conditioning... Strength comes first, then conditioning. The conditioning is all your running stuff that you do. And so with your strength, which underpins that, you've also got technique. So you've got technique in terms of kicking the ball, yeah. but you've got technique in terms of skills like running. Running is a skill. And so technique sits in between the two. You need the strength to be able to do what you're going to ask of your body technically, but you also need the strength to be able to ask of your to, for your body to be able to do the conditioning stuff, to do all the running. So I see a lot of athletes come to me, particularly male athletes, asking to do strength training. They want to get stronger so they can jump higher, run faster. But they don't often consider techniques. And so once we start to do some stuff around technique, that's where they get the big, massive jumps mm. and improvement. And they're able to run for longer, easier, and they are able to run faster. So definitely... Assuming injury prevention as well. Oh, and that's massive. Yeah, yeah. So and strength underpins all that stuff as well. The strength mm. stuff, that end range strength stuff is crazy. That's the stuff. So I worked with Ryan Nyhouse. Yeah. Um, and that was the biggest thing that he said that he got in his post-AFL career with, with Fremantle was that that end range strength stuff, he just felt so loose, he felt so good, but he also felt so strong. So on the one hand, you've got the athletic performance, but on the other hand, you've got the really bulletproofing your body, the injury mm. prevention. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that one, because I suppose devil's advocate, I know there was a time there where uh, Rioli for Hawthorne, they were trying to change his running technique because he kept having those soft tissue injuries, and all the criticism came about saying, hey, the, the guy's been running since he was two years old, you know, it's too late to change a guy's technique in the 20s, or, or a female's technique in the as they're in their 20s. Is that true, or do you think that adjustments can be made? Oh, for sure, adjustments can be made, and uh, I'm going to sound like I'm name-dropping here, but... When I was working with Palmerston, yeah, when I was working with Palmerston, Aaron Davy had just retired from a footy, and he came back and played. And I was running some extra sessions at the track, and he came down to those sessions, and I was teaching him some running technique stuff. Mm. And a lot of the time, they don't get time in the AFL to work on that. They expect they've already got that by the time they get to that point. And by that point, by the time they go into an AFL system, they're then needing to put size on them initially as 18, 19-year-olds. Then they're trying to get them strong and then they're just trying to get them to be able to run out games because, as you know, the AFL competition right now, it's they're running athletes. And so... Uh, the thing that Aaron said was, I wish I knew this at the start of my AFL career. Thank you so much for teaching me this stuff. So it's certainly not too late to be able to um, to do work on that. And you know what? That's a mindset of a professional athlete, of someone who is a high-performing mm. athlete or person who at the age in his, you know, whatever he was at the time, early 30s or whatever, when he uh, retired – is that he was still trying to find ways to improve his performance, even coming back from the AFL into the NTFL system. Yep. We'll put a bit of a local spin on that. So the question I had for you, I think, would put you on the spot a little bit too much. It was your Facebook bio says, I teach people all the tips, tricks, and actionable strategies to live a life of health and happiness. And then I was going to say, could you give us a tip, trick, or actionable strategy right now? But then I'm going to let's put a personalized thing on it. Let's say the City to Surf, right? One of the Darwin's biggest events is coming up. If there was someone starting from scratch or perhaps someone like me who you know plays a bit of local football, but I'm not, not a great runner, what would be your advice uh, a couple of months out from the City to Surf? 
couple of months out would be well it's probably a little bit technique stuff takes some time to work yeah. through and so muscles take generally about three months to remold and tendons take about seven months mm -hmm. and so when you're talking about technique stuff you're really talking about a lot of stuff to do with tendons and tendon strength so you probably don't have time for that uh, not to say not to do that i would certainly would still do that but the biggest thing i think would be swimming that is oh, the wow. biggest bang for buck. So when <laughs> I was that. no, well, when I was like, um, so I did athletics and I was you know running four hundreds and stuff back in the day in yeah. my teenage years, and early twenties, and then I then yep. I left in my left that in my early twenties and then went into footy and I was playing with Wanderers when Mark Motlop was coaching yep. and I went and did two sessions in the pool and I took my beep test from mid elevens which was my best three to fourteen two really of just swimming. How much swimming are you talking? Like literally. 10 laps two times a week really? but it was the hypoxia stuff so it was extending out your breathing yeah. um, and doing all that controlled breathing so breathing every three strokes and that sort of thing it was I couldn't believe it I started to do some research into it I can talk about it later if you want but there is some physiological changes that are occurring inside the body which allows that to that aerobic capacity to improve dramatically so at this point yeah definitely you need to be running um, i would be doing some strength training you mm -hmm. need to do some running specific strength training you know for your quads hamstrings calves i don't think people work their calves enough no. or their lower legs um, tibialis anterior as well which is the front of your shin and then the swimming like the swimming's got to be in there You've convinced me I'm going to get the goggles on and get into a pool. It doesn't help that, that Casarina Pool's closed, but uh, I'll, I'll get around to Nycliffe. Hey, plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. We've got, we're hearing from Michael Voss and Chris Scott, plenty of uh, audio from last night's thrilling game at the MCG. We do need to talk about the NTFL Grand Finals in which Waratah broke a premiership drought and much more to come. Stay tuned to SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEM Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. No Robbie, Hale or Raph Clark in the studio today, but we are joined by the fitness guru, Jacob Andre, who has worked with local athletes and national athletes. Of course, he's done a lot of great work with the Adelaide Crows AFLW team. Jacob, do you get around the Darwin Salties, our NBL 1 basketball team? I've never been to a game, but I noticed you have helped out Jamie Lee Paris, who is one of the most recent signings for the women's team. Yeah, Jamie Lee came to me late last year in 2022 and asked if I could help her t uh, to sign with them. And so I was very excited to see that recent signing of her with them as a centre. So she is a nice big body that I think they really needed the Salties. Mm. I haven't seen any games in Darwin, but I have in Brisbane. I went to watch them play the men's and the women's, uh, the Capitals in Orkinflower, Brisbane. And it was it's seriously a really exciting event. If anyone gets the opportunity go down to one of these games because the way they put it on is awesome. I was going to say that. Like, obviously, that ties into my next question. I'm going to have to get behind them this season. You'd have to imagine the atmosphere at the old DBA Centre would be pretty good. Are they generating good crowds? Yeah, they are. Um, and I just love the way that they get it they get around it like the way they do at the top is like the highest levels yep. where you know they play music play the music and, yeah. and the lights and all that kind of thing and and darwin not that i've been to one of the games live but i've seen videos from mm. people where they've been talking about where they've showed the atmosphere and it's crazy good we're going to have to talk about that a little bit after a break but do you think they're the closest team uh in the northern territory to getting a team at the elite level say the nbl 
You mean more so than like in footy? Yeah, more so than footy, soccer, like A-League, AFL. Yeah, probably actually. I, I've never actually thought about that. You'd have that, to think the NBL is more achievable, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, I think so. I think it would be, especially with the, this NBL 1 competition. I mm. think it would be. Yeah. Oh, plenty to talk about later. This is SEN Fridays in the top end. We do need to go to a quick break. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Listen to us on 16.11am or via the SEN app. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SEN Top End. Jacob, we were just talking about the Darwin Salties, and I love the branding. They have quite good colours, despite straying from the traditional territory ochre, black and white. The saltwater crocodile is a good, fierce animal. But we'll let's go back to AFL for a while, because we definitely don't talk enough footy on this uh, show. But <laughs> what do you think the Territory AFL team, the future Territory AFL team, would be called? Surely it'd just have to be the Thunder. Yeah, it's got to be Thunder. That was the first thing that came to mind. That or Lightning, but I reckon Thunder. You stick with what they've got and... I it's mean, already a bit of an established brand. Exactly, yeah. They've got all that stuff there. So, I think, and the people like that. I think it likes it works well. And when they play ACDC's Thunderstruck, mm. like when they come out, like you can't oh, yeah. beat it. Yeah, I think the very only competition for that would be maybe the Buffaloes, like the rep teams called the Buffaloes. Um, but I think it was when they were rumored, like when Gold Coast were going to come in, there was a bit of a rumor that they might be called the Gold Coast Sharks, and a few like people that didn't like Southport Sharks, who are the biggest club on the Gold Coast, got angry, and possibly that could happen with the Territory locals uh, calling a team the Buffaloes when you've got one of the most polarising footy clubs up here, the Buffaloes. Um, so I reckon that could rub up a few people the wrong way. The Crocodiles could potentially be, like, you know, not the, you wouldn't call it the Territory Salties, but you could call them the Territory Crocodiles, maybe. There was the Townville Crocodiles in the NBL. But, yeah, who knows? I hope it, I hope it happens one day. I hope these, these dreams can become a reality. Another break, we have the news coming up and many more to come on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Jacob, it was an interesting, a high-standard NTFL Grand Final last Saturday. Waratah have finally broken a 22-year premiership drought to win this season's NTFL Premiership. The Warriors 10-10-70 defeated Southern District 7-10-52 at TIO Stadium. Look, plenty of good players for Waratah. I thought Jack O'Sullivan, the defender, was great. Somewhat lucky to play in the grand final after escaping a three-match ban, having that overturned. Ed Morris, a defensive midfielder, was excellent. Adam Goulden, the brother of Errol Goulden from Sydney, was great with 19 disposals and a couple of goals. Two great goals in the first quarter. Abe Ankers only had the 16 disposals, but was very influential. It was a low-possession game, which we often see in the NTFL grand final, so you wouldn't be expecting the big 25-30 possession games. Southern Districts' Matt Dennis won the Cheney medal, and he was excellent. There are always a few eyebrows raised when someone from a losing team is judged best on ground, but the statistics tell the story. 20 disposals, 43 hitouts, and up the top in a number of other statistical categories. He was simply amazing and deserved that Cheney medal. Look, I'm sure the Waratah boys celebrated long and hard, as you do when you win a flag, and there were some ripping Mad Monday costumes going around. None better than Jaden Magro, the small forward who went as Kieran the Wiz Parnell, or the Boogeyman, as we dubbed him uh, on the show. He... So, 
a bit of a context for that. Parnell held Magro to just five disposals in a game late in the season, but Magro since then has changed up his role the, night, the last two times they played, playing further up the ground and, and definitely having an influence while another key forward for Waratahs, Darcy Hopes, played closer to home. But good to see that, A, he is listening to our show, and B, he has a great sense of humour about him. So I got those photos coming through. It all came in one hit. I got about eight messages from Waratah players. Oh, look at this costume. So I think Magro definitely got best on ground in the costume department. Um, Waratah's winning the flag, Jacob. Is that is that a surprise for you on the surface? Not a surprise. I think you look at their team for the last two years in particular. Mm. I'm really happy for Ryan Ayres, their coach, who, you know, came through that Southern District system and, you know, his mentor, Shannon it Ruska. Was, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it, was good. it was good to see them two facing off against each other and I'm really happy that Ryan got the job done. I, I feel... Like, he would have been pretty disappointed last season. And I think I spoke to him, actually, in the week before, and he seemed nervous. I was mm. a bit worried about how nervous he seemed. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad they got the job done for him. Well, you would be nervous a little bit. Like, I think going in as the premiership favourites make you nervous by default. And then knowing that last year uh, they were a big chance to beat St Mary's. And, and I wouldn't say they failed completely, but it, it was uh, they're in front at quarter time by 12 points and then completely sort of dropped the ball in the second quarter. And then it wasn't competitive in the last half. So you would be crossing your fingers and toes that you would have a repeat performance from that group. Do you think it's difficult coaching a team like Waratah? And, and it's, it's easy to get into the trap and say um, they're all interstate players and, and they're you know not really a local team or anything like that but um, it is the reality in a way uh, a lot of players there whether they're based in Darwin or not um, and a lot were will go down south for a southern season as a as a from a strength and conditioning perspective do you think it would be hard to manage a group that have more players that play all year round yeah I think it's certainly harder from a strength and conditioning perspective to manage a team like that but I'm kind of sick of this comment. This, mm. If you want to bring the NTFL competition up to a higher standard, then this is what has to happen, and mm. this is what should happen, and I'm glad that it is happening. I spoke to people during the week who said that they were going for districts because there were more local players. There were still plenty of imports from, oh. some, from districts. Yeah, that's a very rich comment. Yeah, but and to say that it was they didn't recognize any players playing for Waratahs, I just think that's a ridiculous comment. Mm. You've got to put your best team on the park. You've got it. You've got your four lines that you can have. You've got to be with that within your your points system. So he's obviously done all that, Ryan, the coach, and and they've won it. So uh, good good luck to them. Well done. So we're both Darwin locals. I mean, I mean, people say they don't recognise the Waratah players. All you've got to do is go on a Mitchell Street on Sunday afternoon, and then <laughs> and you'll be quite familiar with them. But uh, you, you, as a local, so you, we can talk about this stuff. You don't get offended that the Southern players are infiltrating our, our our beloved NTFL competition, do you? No, not at all. I think that just raises the standard. As someone who played footy, and I, I went and played a couple for three seasons, I went back and played seniors, and... In that time, I played about 10 Premier League games. and So it's not a lot, but I have played Premier League. I'm not upset that I wouldn't, mm. wouldn't get a spot over a guy from Adelaide or Brisbane who was a cracking player. That's the be that's your best team. You put your best team on the park. I have no concerns with that. And I just think all it does is actually raises the standard. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you're much of a betting person, Jacob, but I publicly went forward with my predictions before the game and I've got... Pint Queen Ants to win, and they were arguably not the favourite, given they lost a couple of weeks ago. I said Jasmine Hewitt for best on ground. That's a tick. Waratah to win by 17 points. I was wrong. They won by 18 points. And Matt Dennis to win the Cheney medal in a losing team. Now, look, as you can tell by the look on my face, I am quietly happy with myself over those predictions. If only I could have chucked them all in a multi. Have... 
that's impressive, isn't it? It is. I actually seen this on Facebook yesterday, and I went, <laughs> "Oh smokes, this is good. well done. That's a cracking tip." But I I wouldn't expect anything less. Oh, I appreciate that. So exactly a the mentee beating the mentor is that right? I don't think I got that right. Uh, Shannon yeah. Rusker was the coach of Southern Districts in seventeen eighteen. The grand final when Ryan Ayers was an assistant coach. He definitely did a long apprenticeship, Ryan Ayers. And I don't know if you can touch on this. Feel free to jump in. But quite a good footballer uh, himself back in the day. He was a Darwin Buffaloes junior and got drafted to Melbourne Demons. Um, sort of struggled with injury a lot. But I played some junior football at Waratah, and he used to like make a cameo appearance once a year and play in the resies. And he'd kick like three or four goals from centre half forward and absolutely dominate. Um, but yeah, a talented guy. Right? Very talented. So I played junior schoolboy footy with him, and I remember yep. there was a passage of play where he ran from <clears throat> right deep in the back line, right through to forward, and he just kept saying, hand pass it to a teammate, and I was part of this chain, hand pass it to a teammate, and then demanded it back. <laughs> and so you just gave it back, and then the next one, the hand pass it, demanded it back, and then he kicked a goal. He has an absolute booming left foot. He always oh, has. Yeah. Rookie listed uh, with the D and yeah very good size he's got all the physical dimensions and characteristics that you want of a great footballer um disappointed he didn't do more at afl level but yeah now obviously a great coach so yeah i think injuries got him in the end i know um so i was doing a little bit of research and there's that football forum big footy and i typed in ryan airs one day and i reckon i got a uh, like a thread coming up about how he dominated a game i think it was a vfl practice game so, so it wasn't an afl game it wasn't even a an actual vfl game but i think he kicked like six or seven goals in three quarters and everyone was like hey this is this is the next big thing um and then yeah i mean i, I guess injuries took him over shannon rusker probably interestingly has a bit of a similar story like a dominant junior as a kid um i think and i could be wrong you spend more time in the ntis than i do but what's I don't know if you have any faster 20-meter sprint times, but I think he had like 2.78 or something. I know his name was on the board um, a long time with the fastest 20-meter sprint time that they've recorded, and this was done in like pre-2000. This was like 1999 or something. Yeah, so. it was in the 90s, and he still holds that record for the fastest 20-meter sprint. So, And yeah. obviously he went to, was it Brisbane? Brisbane and then Bulldogs. Yeah. But, so yeah. what did you make of the grand final in terms of coaching from the district's point of view? Look, I think it's an interesting one. I reckon that Ruska coached very well, and I think he has coached very well the last couple of weeks in the finals. Um, he earmarked that you need to stop Nate Paredes, Jackson Calder, and Dylan Lant when they played St. Mary's the previous week, and he did that effectively. Um, and he did that a little bit left field too, like Fraser Driscoll on Jackson Calder was, was the no-brainer matchup, but you had Dean Staunton who generally sort of does his own thing and, and finds his own footy, do a tagging role, and I know people will get a bit hung up on, on the word tagging, but it, it's exactly what it was. No one plays that defensive as what Dean Staunton did uh, on Dylan Lant, and he absolutely smashed him. It was one of the better defensive roles that I've seen in the NTFL for a long, long time. You had Lant, who averages 30 possessions and a couple of goals a game. He only had the 11 possessions, and he went forward and still had an impact in kick three, but you had Dean Staunton, the skipper, returning from suspension, coming the other way, getting 27 disposals himself. I thought, retrospectively, he probably should have got best on ground. Um, I know we rated a few other players just as high, but yeah, very, very good. And I mean, like, it, it is daunting like when you are coaching a team that's lost by 48 points or 56 points, whatever it was, um, the previous time they met, and that was the situation that Ruska faced. 
But to get into a winning position late, I just think his troops couldn't hold on. You watched the last quarter, didn't you? Did, what, what did you make of it? Did Waratah just look like the fitter side? Uh, it, well, I watched it on KO, which was crazy. Yeah. It was yeah, so it just a yeah. big big win for the NTFL. Do you think that's a good... Where do you think that's going? Well, I don't know. I mean, at the moment, obviously, the live streaming option. So it's progressed over the years. We probably remember watching the NTFL where you could just go on YouTube and then uh, stream that up to the to the TV. Now, I, 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 I'm not a very technical-minded person. I don't know how to use a HDMI cord to save my <laughs> life. So I don't know. I don't get the NTFL, the NT News, um, their subscription, their feed onto my TV. I just basically watch it on the laptop, and it's always a bit disappointing. When I click off, off the tab to do something else for a while, go on Facebook or whatever, it stops the game and it pauses it at that moment, and that's always annoyed me, whereas YouTube is a little bit more flexible. So I wouldn't say, like, I'm not trying to bag out the NT News. They've got to do what they've got to do. That's probably good business for them, I can imagine. But um, I think they could be in a little bit of danger if, if someone else stepped in like a KO and said, hey, we wouldn't mind buying the rights for this stuff because I think it's a competition... Uh, uh, with plenty of interest, it's in a unique time of the year. If you're a footy head, and there's plenty of footy heads around um, between October and March, and you just want that footy fix, you'd watch the NTFL. It's a pretty good standard. So, yeah, I think I think the NT News would be looking over their shoulder. What do you yeah, reckon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's a good step in the direction of the territory having their own AFL team. So, but to go back to your question about districts in the last quarter, so they had the lead mm. with what was it about five minutes yeah, left? It wasn't long. It was not long at all. And then all of a sudden. Waratahs went for it. I don't think it was a fitness thing. I, I think that it was just more a grunt type mm. thing from Waratahs that they just they won the contested ball, they got the ball forward, and then they ended up scoring. When they kicked that goal, you really felt like the momentum was just starting to shift. And mm. then when they kicked the second, it was sort of almost felt like it was done. And then obviously the third, it was just party time. Exactly right. And I think that... Um Look, a great effort too because the momentum had definitely swung back to the Crocs' favour. It wasn't a matter of both teams going goal for goal and Waratah just wanted it more. Waratah burst from the blocks. They were 20 points up at quarter time and then Districts took took the game off them, really. I think it was roughly the score was about 38 or 40 to 20-something to if you count the second and third quarters. Um, and they were able to, yeah, turn that into, uh, you know anyone's game late in the last quarter and then of course like you talk about Ryan Ayres being nervous during the week can you imagine how nervous he would have been with five minutes to go but his troops got the job done hey Jacob we will talk about the NTFL Women's Premier League Grand Final in which the Queen Ants pint defeat a Waratah just after a short break this is SEN Fridays in the top end thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter Jacob we were talking about the Warriors Waratah Defeating Southern Districts 10-10-70 to 7-10-52 in last week's NTFL Grand Final. We spoke a lot about Ryan Ayres. Uh, Shannon Rusker returning to Southern Districts, taking over from Matt Cannard again. We were talking off-air about his long-term prospects at the club, and, and I was saying before that he's such a such a strong figure around Southern Districts um, that he would... It would be remiss of Southern Districts, I think, to get rid of him, especially after a year like that. Get rid of him sounds very harsh, but, but you know, to look for a new coach and look for a new alternative. Um, he is a very influential man out at Humpty Doo, so he will be expected to continue on, I believe, if he wants to, in that role. Um, you, If you were Southern Districts in charge of that football club, you would have to consider, well, not consider, you'd have to leave Shannon Rusker in that position and hope they can just go one further next year. Yeah, well, the Rusker name at Districts is synonymous, mm. like, in the same way it is the Motlops at Wanderers. Yeah. And so, you know, when he's 
finishing in finals and then dropping out in straight sets a few years ago and they're sticking with him. They're certainly, as you said, off air, mm. going to stick with him uh, when they've made a grand final and you know had the lead with a couple of minutes left. So I think they've got a good foundation there and I can't see why you would leave and, and go in a different direction at this point. I think the interesting thing um, that I will talk about in the coming weeks with Rob Hale and Ralph Clark when they return uh, is Rick Nolan could potentially be a coach in waiting. He We interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and he he wants to coach uh, Premier League men again. He made that very clear during our interview that that would be something that he's interested in. So um, if you're a football club, uh, you know I don't know how much you've had to do with Rick, but if you're a football club in the territory, having someone like Rick available would always be a lure, wouldn't it? Oh, for sure. I think Rick is an amazing coach, and the, one of the best things about him is his video analysis stuff. So oh, he yeah. created his own pro, his own yeah. computer program <laughs> called what's it called, Sports Clip Maker. Yeah. I actually, when I was with Wanderers and Palmerston, got both of those clubs to purchase that program, and we used it. But Rick, one of the things that he he said to me when he was showing me this program was that we do too much talking. That's back to the eighties, mm. you know, before a game. What he does before a game is he shows like pretty much 90 seconds of video and that's the last thing that they hear from him and see before they run out and it's typically two positives sandwiched with a negative in the middle Mm -hmm. or not negative but what they're going out to try to negate from the other team or try to to work on and uh, and I just think the way he goes about all that video analysis stuff is really effective so if there's any NTFL clubs out there looking for a coach he would definitely be right up there in conversation maybe uh, you know Brenton Toy, I think, is a good is a good coach, but Tiwi is someone that you know they need mm. some change. Maybe that's where they look. Or well, I don't think. To be honest with you, I don't think Rick would entertain coaching the Bombers. I mean, I don't want to speak for Rick. It might be a, a goal of his. Um, but I think Rick said that he, like he said on the interview, that it would have to be a club that he fits in with. And and Rick wasn't being the big dog and saying, oh, I'm going to pick and choose which club. But he was saying that he's such a fanatical football mind that, uh, you know, he couldn't coach certain groups in the NTFL. Um, And and he met that with the utmost respect. And I understand where he's coming from. But some footy clubs that I've, I wouldn't say been a part of, but observed, uh, don't have that meticulous approach to football that Rick would demand. Um, You know, you'd be in a group chat and Rick would be messaging you all Saturday morning saying, water, 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 drink at least eight litres of water. And you'd be like, gee, where there'd be some footy clubs there in locally that just don't have that professionalism that Rick would demand. If you look at the clubs that Rick has coached, St. Mary's, the Queen Ants, who we're going to talk about literally right now, um, I'm just not sure whether, whether he would fit in at every single club. Before we do talk about the Queen Ants, what about Rick at a Nycliffe or a Wanderers? So Buxy at Nycliffe and you've got Aaron at Wanderers. Mm. You know, It could be a similar thing has happened at both those two clubs where Nycliffe went with Damien Hale from Saints and then Wanderers went with Andrew, Andrew Hodges mm-hmm. from Saints. Um, had success, both of them, both I, those two clubs. Look, I heard a sneaky rumor a couple of years ago that Rick Nolan was interested in the Darwin Buffalo's job and take nothing away from any of the applicants or Cammy Stokes, who's an excellent coach in his own right, but that would have been very interesting. I would have loved to see what Rick Nolan could do with a group like the Darwin Buffaloes. Um, I have heard a rumour, and this is strictly a rumour, that Ryan Ayres may potentially look to move on after that, that uh, premiership win, and Rick at Waratah seems like the perfect fit, uh, you know, if he were to go to a club like that. I reckon, um, I reckon he'd probably, I wouldn't say create a dynasty, but that would make Waratahs a very hard team to beat in the coming years. Oh, I agree completely. I think if he went to Waratahs, you'd look at them winning at least three out of the next mm. five premierships. You'd have to think so. Speaking of Rick Nolan, his Queen Ants uh, are the NTFL Women's Premier League 
Premiers after recording a dominant win over Waratah last Saturday afternoon. The Queen Ants 12-8-80 defeated Warriors 6-4-40 in the grand final. Jasmine Hewitt, as we mentioned earlier, was the star and claimed the Williams medal with yet another best-on-ground performance. Look, we don't want to make this the Ricky Nolan show, but it was a great coaching performance by him and his group uh, turning around that loss to Waratah a fortnight ago. Jasmine Hewitt, what a star. Oh, she's unbelievable. And uh, I, she was my tip for best on ground before mm. the game. And some people sort of said, oh, nah, I think maybe go this way or that way. But you just couldn't see her not winning that medal no. um, from pretty much from half time, halfway through. I was at this game live and watched it. And... It was initially a very good coaching performance from Heidi Thompson, the yeah. coach of Waratahs. And Heidi is an amazing coach. She's worked with Brisbane Lions in the AFLW. She was the women's Thunder coach. She's an absolute cracking person. She's an amazing person. And uh, I thought her coaching prowess would get her over the line. Speaking to some of the Waratah players, they seemed pretty confident. They They were more happy to be playing Pints than to be playing Saints. Mm. And so, you know, and, and halfway through that first quarter, it all, you, you couldn't see Pints winning. I, I thought Waratahs were going to run away with it. It was two mm. goals to nothing. Pints could not get could mm. not get the ball into their forward line and score. But then all of a sudden, I don't even know where it came from, but deep in that first quarter, uh, Pints ended up um, bringing, coming back. I think it was two goals, three Waratahs to two goals straight Pints at quarter time. And then after that, it was just the Pint show. They oh, just yeah. dominated. And, and then Waratahs just couldn't get it. They couldn't transition from defense into attack, mm. and, and let alone score. And then even when they did manage to get it into their 50, they just never really looked like scoring. We are getting Rick Nolan on the show in about half an hour. So we said it wasn't the Rick Nolan show, but gee, it's quickly turning into that. <laughs> hey, um, you sort of touched on it a little bit there, but what do you think won it for Pint? Did you think that they just... Because to put a bit more context in that, Pints were dead and buried the previous week against St. Mary's. Daniel Ponta came out on fire, had kicked three goals in the first half, and they won the unwinnable game. They were 19 points down at three-quarter time, which is a big, big margin in lower-scoring games, um, and they were able to overturn that and win. Of course, it was largely thanks. We talk about Rick Nolan, but Jasmine Newell won that game off her own boot as well. So it's a bit of a team performance, but you had Rennie Hicks and a lot of other on-ballers and, and players around the ground that played very, very well. What did you think, when did when that momentum shift happened for Pints on the weekend, what did you put that down to? Did it look like a more structured team? Because, again, we can't take anything away from Heidi Thompson, who's a terrific coach. We're not going to say she got outcoached or anything like that. Did did their, did their respective groups, did Waratah get outworked by Pints? Yeah, no, no well, I agree. <clears throat> Heidi did, certainly did not get outcoached. I thought they were very well coached right throughout the game. But where it looked like it shifted for me was just the contested ball. Mm. Uh, I mean, Jazz was winning it from the ruck at from right from the very beginning, like the, her first tap, I think went went to advantage, and uh, I think, yeah, went, as she was, her, her taps, her ruck work was just dominant. But then her work around the ground, her ability to continue to run, um, I just felt like Pints were just winning all that contested ball and able to get more passages of play linked together, whereas it just seemed a bit more disjointed from Waratahs. It almost. I hate to say this, but it almost seemed to me like Waratahs were a bit of deer in the headlights type mm. stuff. And it just, they, they didn't almost on the field know where to turn. It almost felt like a lack of leadership. This is going to be a little bit inflammatory, <laughs> but it just looked like there was no one that just really stood up 
Uh, I know Kira tried to and tried, you know, do a few dusties, yeah. and but it just it wasn't coming off. Uh, no. Pints were just getting one, two, three players around the ball, and then just smothering the Waratah players, and then they were able to run away with it. Well done to the Queen Ants. We will talk a little bit more about the Premier League Reserves Grand Final, in which Banks were victorious, and we're hoping to get uh, Raf Clark on the phone to talk about his victorious Division 2 St Mary's team. Of course, Tracy Village won the Division 1 uh, Grand Final as well. But I reckon after the break, uh, Jacob, we are going to talk about the NTFL Under-18 Grand Final. Oh, this was Maybe cracking. the most amazing junior game of football I've seen in a long, long time. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. We were just talking about the NTFL Grand Finals in which Waratah beat Southern District, the Women's Premier League Grand Final, uh, Queen Ants beating Warriors, Jasmine Hewitt best on ground in the women's, uh, Maddie Dennis best on ground in the men's. But um, you didn't even have to watch the games. You just had to listen to my predictions on <laughs> Friday. But, uh, yeah, let's talk about, uh, speaking of Friday, let's talk about the NTFL Under-18 Grand Final. It was an absolutely amazing game of football, as I said to you before. One of the most exciting games of junior footy I've seen in a long, long time. The Warriors came from behind to snatch a two-point victory over St. Mary's. Waratah 5-4-34 defeated the Saints 4-8-32. How about Dwayne Kiranua? What an absolute star. He kicked all five of Waratah's goals and was judged best on ground. Now, we've seen five-goal games before, you know, be, be okay, but nothing too impressive. He was a one-man show in attack for the Warriors, and he kicked a couple of goals that I would have been so nervous. you got a 17, 18-year-old kid lining up. You got It was a big crowd. It was a good atmosphere there. And he had to kick truly, and he did. And that was an amazing game of football. Oh, and that clutch goal, his fourth one, that mm. was unbelievable. That, Like you said... That was one of the... That, actually, that was probably the best junior game of footy that I've ever seen. Yep. I've been to the last two under-18 grand finals because there's a whole bunch of boys that I teach that have played in them. Last year, it was Saints and Nycliffe. This year, it was Waratahs and Nycliffe. Uh, sorry, Waratahs and Saints. And it was an absolute cracking game, but particularly that last 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. So, Waratahs would, would go into their 50. They couldn't get it deeper than 30. It was three-on-one every single time. Mm. It would be a one-on-one, and then there would be two Saints players who would just sit back and then just take an uncontested mark, and they just rebound out the other side. And I said, someone at least has to go and man up one of these two guys. You've got to make it. Mitch Connors, for, for Otaz, I thought was the best option to go down and just make it a, a two-on-three. But that didn't need to happen because in steps Karanua. And <laughs> my goodness, he, he got a Jack Ginevan type free kick. Oh, he's yeah. just throwing himself on yep. the ground and back. And he, he's got himself a free kick about 30 metres out on a 45 degree angle. This is the goal you're talking about. His nerves to be able to steady, compose himself, kick that goal, which gave... Is that the one that gave them the lead, I think? Well, okay. he kicked, no, well, his last goal right at the end with not long to go gave him the lead. I think there was about three minutes to go. So he kicked another goal uh, to put them within striking, just to put them within a kick. And then his last goal at the end gave him a two-point lead, which they hung on to. Which they hung to. And then, so then one of the Saints players came on. And as soon as, I can't remember who he was, might have been number 11. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure. Came on and I, he'd caught my attention throughout the game. And I said, talk about you getting your tips right and, and 17 versus 18 points, your tips for the Waratah <laughs> Premier League. I was almost right. I said, you watch. When this guy came on with about three minutes left, I said, he's going to win in the game. And he got the ball off half back, and he ran the entire <laughs> length of the field. It was like he'd rub Vaseline over his entire body because no Waratah player could 
could grab him. He slipped through. He got to about 35 metres out and ended up having to snap mm. because he was, you know, I think he was exhausted, but also just because of the sort of trouble he got himself into. And literally, you were there at the game. Yes. The, the crowd went silent from the moment it left his boot to the moment it went up. You, you uh, could hear uh, it hit the post. Hit the post. <laughs> and you know what? I didn't even know it hit the post until I washed it back the next day. Yeah. I thought it was a behind. And, oh, man, and that would have given, given them the lead. Oh. Jacob, you talk about, uh, like, Leo Barry, you star, and some of the iconic grand final moments. Now, admittedly, this isn't the biggest stage, but I will go as far as to say, and you tell me if I'm exaggerating, but if he had kicked that goal, that would have been the single most amazing clutch moment that I've ever seen in a grand final. He literally, it would have been goal of the year in any competition around Australia. Absolutely. And he stepped about three or four blokes, <laughs> ran, got three or four bounces, kicked that snap, and then to hit the post. If he kicked that, I was like, oh my goodness, he's going to put himself in St. Mary's Junior folklore with that. Oh yeah, that was head and shoulders bigger and better than Barry, uh, Leo Barry. That, it, was, it was just crazy. Like, and the crowd, the atmosphere was electric. And yeah. from both sides, Waratahs and Saints, it was... It was loud, wasn't it? Yeah, when that hit the post, then they ended up, they kicked it out, they took it down to the boundary and they, it went out of, out of bounds right in front of us in the mm. middle of the grandstand and uh, right in front of the umpire's race and yeah, uh, it was a fitting finish to finish right there. The Waratah crowd just went oh, nuts. Yeah. yeah, I thought they played that very well that last couple of minutes there, Waratah. Obviously a high-intensity impact game you'd expect. And, and, you know, at under-18 level, everything's got to be done at 100 miles an hour. But they really took the pace out of that game in that last minute. Went long went and forced stoppages, forced boundary throw-ins where there isn't time on um, and played that very, very smart. Well, maybe Carlton watched them last night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, do you think they should keep that... Friday night time slot for the under-18s grand final. I thought it worked very well. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, what time did they play? They're playing at like lunchtime, yeah. and it was really hot in the Division One, Division Two, and uh, and reserves grand final. So uh, that standalone women's and men's under-18 grand final on a Friday night, it just works so well. Definitely. Hey, it was a big weekend for Waratahs' James Arata. So he started Friday night as the premiership winning coach of that under-18s team for Waratah, and then. He, so he's been at Waratah under-18s for a little while now, I think, leading the club through the good times and, and especially the bad times. He's also been one of the longest-serving players in the Premier League team, having played over 100 games for the club. So he went the double. He got the under-18s flag as coach, and then he got the uh, the big flag in on the weekend for the NTFL Premier League. You do need to go very soon, so we will throw to a break. But I just want to know, I'm going to rattle off a few names here who I thought were good, and you tell me if you've ever heard of them or whether any of them are your kids at Darwin High. So I thought Isaiah Ball, and Michael Romolo were good for uh, St. Mary's. And I've got Jag McInerney, Cooper Best, Brody Embiscardo, and Xavier Blitner standing out for the Warriors. Were there any other players? Do you know any of those boys? Yeah, I do. I think Oliver Paulson is another name oh, yeah. that I'll throw yeah, in, no, into that, um, who I teach. And uh, as I Bordock, I know his dad, who mm. played in the grand final in the reserves for Banks. 300 gamer. Yeah. Banks now. Um, and actually, I was watching this one on YouTube before I went down to the game for the women's. And he had a set shot, and the commentator said, he does not miss. And I thought, oh, geez, Richie, this is a lot of pressure. And he, he did. He kicked absolute dead eye straight. Um, but that name you mentioned, Cooper Best, he, he is a phenomenal player, had a bit of Premier League experience now. And I reckon if there was going to be a competitor for those men's, that Premier League celebration, Cooper is right up there. He partied very hard on uh, Saturday night. I'd say the Friday night too, straight after the game, but certainly backed it up again on Saturday. Really? Well, I think I... Uh, I don't know. I coached him in the under-12s back in the day, and I mean... He was only 10 years old, but he wasn't much of a partier then. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
he's eight. I think he's seventeen or eighteen now. So he's yeah, no, he's starting good, to find some form. Good on him. Hey, Jacob. Thank you very much for joining us. We do, you have, what time for the day? You've got to go to your, you've got three kids at Wollagi Primary School currently. Yep. So that's where you'll be going. I'm a teacher there at Wollagi. I actually had one more question before you go. I, 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 I undersold that. So Wollagi Primary School has Wade Dirksen, the Davy Twins, Alwyn and Jaden, Janome Anderson and Jed Anderson, five kids. Uh, kids, five now adults, playing in the AFL at the elite level. That's a pretty good effort for a small school per capita. That might be one of the Darwin's most successful schools. Yeah, it probably is. And it's it's a very big footy school. You know, mm, Cameron Carmichael, yes. who... Um, uh, yeah, so who... They did really well in their primary school comp last year. They played against the Holy Family, who just dominated, and that's full of the Anstess and the Vallejo yeah. kids. Um, uh, Kerry O'Connell is another one. Her son, yeah. Bo O'Connell, who's gone down south to, to play footy again, obviously a Nichols medal winner. Uh, so, yeah, um, those two, Kerry and Cam, absolutely love their footy, big Buffalo people, and uh, do really well. But a lot of those kids go on to Sanderson, and you talk about successful schools who have, mm. students have gone into the AFL, that's Sanderson. We're talking Stephen May, Troy Taylor. There's yeah. some crew, uh, Jet, Jet Anderson, you know, who... That was an... Obviously, we could... Your grade. I could talk... Yeah, exactly. I could talk to you all day. I was going to talk about how Stephen May was an inclusion for the Melbourne team tonight. And then I was going to say, did you ever teach Stephen at Sanderson? Because at one point, we had Stephen, Troy Taylor, Jed, and Jordan Wilson uh, all in the one footy team. And gee, you walked a bit taller when Stephen May was your teammate. Yeah, and I actually think I coached the Sanderson team when they combined with another school. And uh, Cameron Stokes was in yeah. that team as well that was unbelievable i don't think i coached much i think i just said you guys just go and play footy but now very good jacob uh shout out to young jacks andre your son the house captain school captain school captain very very good effort young jacks uh you enjoy that you enjoy the Wallagi assembly did you have fun today i did this has been really good fun thanks mate Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter.